Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Nathan, and this week is week two of two of our throwback podcast to a webinar we did two years ago on Christmas. And joining me on that webinar were my friends Nika Spaulding and Sylvia Bateman. And we had a lot of fun just talking about Christmassy things. So we hope you enjoy the rest of our conversation. So last Christmas um, was really the first Christmas that my three-year-old now, Nate, knew kind of what was going on, you know, so it was fun. I mean, so it was, uh, but I, I mean, as a parent, I'm, I'm in the middle, I'm in the throes of that right yeah. now. And Nate very much believes in Santa Claus. And so I it's funny too, <laughs> there's a, yeah, no, I told Margaret, this was not kid friendly, well, but, but, uh, but I mean, what was funny is last year and y'all, y'all might judge me, but whatever, I don't care, um, <laughs> is that I started playing Johnny Cash songs for him because he loved, I mean, he loved, and as soon as I played it for him, he loved Johnny Cash. And so he would ask me, can I go listen to Johnny Cash? And I was like, well, Nate, Johnny Cash is dead. And death is, he's just still trying to figure that out, you know, but we've had some family members die and he's kind of gotten that, uh, concept more deeply down. But last, last year I was trying to, cause what I, my technique for this, which you don't have to adopt it, but I'm just throwing it out there. But what I did with them last year is, is I was, I very much was tying the Santa Claus legend to the actual person of, of okay. St. Nicholas, um, which is historical. But I, I like just slipped and was like, it was talking about some, some of these stories from St. Nicholas. And then somehow Johnny Cash got brought in the conversation. I was like, well, St. Nicholas has been dead way before, you know, <laughs> way before Johnny Cash was. And there was this weird, awkward silence. And I was like, did you catch that yeah. or not? And Nate goes, so maybe Santa Claus is dead? <laughs> And I was like, well, uh, so... So is it worse to tell your son that Santa Claus isn't real or that, or that he's, he's dead? dead? I think dead might be the... <laughs> but I recovered. I recovered. I uh, was talking about, hey, Santa Claus you know, lives on. But, but I think that um, one of the things that's been helpful for me, too, and I wanted to make this point, is one of C.S. Lewis's massive hurdles that he could not get over prior to becoming a Christian uh, as an agnostic and an atheist prior to that was how he saw so much beauty in mythology, mm. you know? And so he equated the the beauty that he saw in the New Testament in the gospel story with mythology. That's just the way that he saw it. And actually the man who helped him with that was uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings. And Tolkien was actually able to convince him, hey, just because something retains a mythological element to it does not mean that it's necessarily historically false. And I'm approaching Santa Claus in the same way. Hey, there is a myth of Santa Claus that has been passed down to us, and that's okay. But I think it is important that we link the mythology of Santa Claus to the actual historical event. And so that really what you have is in some ways, in some ways different from the Gospels, obviously, for so many reasons. Um, but what you have in, in Santa Claus is in some ways a true a true myth that's great. that it retains the mythological element of it, but is still historically true. And that's the way I'm approaching it with Nate. So the win with Nate and Miles and, you know, if the Lord continues to bless us with children, when I have, tell my kids down the road that Santa Claus is not real, that's only partially true. Do you see what I'm yeah, saying? There's there, the mythology of him. Part of it that's that's not true will fall off, but we're, we're still able to link um, that to, you know, hey, this expression of Santa Claus is not true, but there actually was a Santa Claus, a Saint Nicholas uh, who followed Christ and gave him his life. So 
Yeah, there's a question that came in. You've covered it some, but uh, maybe just putting a package and a bow on it, so to speak. But it says when, when people compare God or Jesus to Santa to make the argument that believing in God is like believing in Santa, mm-hmm. you know, how do you refute that? I know that may go into a larger argument, but yeah, I would say um, a lot of what I just said. I mean, I, I think that that there are uh, mythological elements to to Santa Claus that are clearly not true. He's clearly not an elf. He's clearly doesn't God have traveling the world. He clearly that, doesn't right? live in the North Pole. In our chimney. I mean, yeah, he he doesn't come down chimneys. I mean, and we don't even have a chimney in our house, so. I mean, I think what we may try to do is just get like a chimney deal on our TV, you know, like Santa comes through the TV, which there's, there's some truth to that. Like you order stuff on Amazon through a screen and it shows up at your doorstep, you know. <laughs> so but I mean, I, I do think that um, for people who are believing that Santa Claus, the mythology of Santa Claus is the same thing as a mythology of Christ. Well, then we would point them to all of the historical evidence yeah, that there is for. I mean, you, even as I was saying earlier, I'm going, hey, some of this, we cannot substantiate these claims. There's just not historical mm-hmm. evidence. There's just not. And I and there's this if anybody's being intellectually honest with history. Right. So you go ahead. Hey, I, don't, I don't believe that a man named Jesus walked the earth. I'm going, well, then you're just not being intellectually honest yeah, with right. the evidence. There is evidence that a man named Jesus walked this earth in the same way of evidence. That Abraham Lincoln walked the earth. Yeah, you're either um, ignorant or you're blind. Right. And so now when people go, hey, I don't think we have historical evidence of the resurrection. That's where I would enter into that conversation and go, hey, we, we do have yeah, historical evidence of that. A lot of it. A lot of it. Yeah. Enough to convince Frankly, those of us sitting in this room, whereas with the Santa guy, if somebody's like, hey, I don't think he threw that bundle of, of gold through the window, I'll go, okay. great. Yeah. You know, and so maybe I, not. Maybe, yeah, maybe so not. I would tell them, hey, they're comparing apples and Santa Claus oranges at that point. And so <laughs> and only one goes in your stocking. So they're not the same thing. Um, but it's a great question, because in the same way, Easter Bunny, whatever, sort of yeah, these yeah. these commercialized things that we've done to religious holidays. Um which is part of why we're doing today to look into these things and go, what is the historical evidence? What is real? What is, um, as my niece would say, fake fiction, phony baloney. So <laughs> I try to tell her really big, grandiose stories and she'll kind of look at me with her head caught to the side and she'll go with me ever so far. And then there's always this moment she goes, and I get, that's fake fiction, phony baloney. And I'm thankful she's discerning at six years old. Yeah, so, yeah. um, so Nate, you know, you've got Santa, you've got Christ, and then I, we've even mentioned it already. It seems like most houses in America that celebrate Christmas have a Christmas tree. Yeah, so where yeah. did that come from? Yeah, there's a lot of decorations that go down this time of year. We even have one in the studio today. That's right. Mm-hmm. Here it is right jingle here. Jingle. A little jingle yeah. tree. <laughs> yeah, I think that, again, there's a lot of attempts. Um, there is a ton of, of Christian legend around Christmas. And yeah. so we, we acknowledge that clearly. I mean, one of those legends is our attempts that people have uh, tried to make over the years to try to tie the significance of the Christmas tree to uh, some sort of pagan worship rite. Where because in pagan, in certain pagan worship rites, I mean, uh, people did worship trees. It was kind of this sign of in, in Genesis one, a tree of life yeah. um, that that happened. In fact, in the medi- medieval period, um, there were um, in a play that commemorated uh, the birth of Adam and Eve, which was celebrated on December the 24th, our Christmas Eve, they did used to erect a paradise tree, which was to signify this new life. But that doesn't have any kind of connection to Christmas other than it actually, it just happened to happen on that day to commemorate uh, Adam and Eve, not the birth of Christ. 
The earliest legend that we have is about a guy named Boniface who went to Germany as a missionary and was preaching to the Germans. And a lot of commercialized uh, Christmas as we know it now came out of Germany, Latvia, Estonia, Northeastern Europe, mm. around Finland. That's where the roots were were born out of. And anyway, the, the legend goes is that uh, Boniface was preaching to people and that he cut down a fir tree. Um, and when he cut down this fir tree, he was telling them, hey, look at how the fir thrives in the midst of kind of this bleak winter month. And because of that, um, it was and was tying the gospel to it that, hey, the gospel can thrive inside of you through difficulty, through hardship, through this is these can be things that God uses to bring about a deeper maturity in you, uh, new life, these kinds of things. And so he was tying the gospel to it. But then from that came this legend of, hey, we're celebrating uh, life in the midst of kind of darkness, mm-hmm. light in the midst of darkness. Mm-hmm. There's a and it being the winter solstice, which is a clear contrast between light and darkness it got legs and started running. And so I'll just give you a couple dates here. Um, during the medieval period, I, I mentioned about the creation of Adam and Eve on December the 24th and, and the celebration that people had to commemorate that using trees. But then in 1444, the Christmas tree began to be a standard decoration for Christmas, but it was only a standard decoration of Christmas among royalty, aristocracy, mm. the elite, and, and also in Germany, Estonia, Latvia, as I, as I mentioned before. So even though it became a tradition for, for people, it was only a very small group of people, and it definitely was not commercialized like it is now, for mm-hmm. sure. But in 1531, they started to be sold in markets. In 1605, people started putting decorations on them. So we're seeing this like slow progression of the, the Christmas tree. In 1660, I thought it was interesting, they started putting candles like live fire candles on Christmas trees. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> my grandparents in Germany did this when my yeah, mom was they, That's what up. I was going to say. Wow. Like they, they in Germany and Latvia yeah. and some of these places, they, they, they're like, hey, they have way more faith. The in heck God's with electricity. Than me. <laughs> we're gonna. They hold on to the tradition of yeah. live fire Christmas trees. Wow. It's crazy. But in the 1700s, especially 1740, they started to spread through Europe, and then in 1740, they were brought to the United yeah, States. You say. mentioned that earlier. In 1781, they were taken to Canada, actually, because um, Quebec was afraid that the United States was going to attack them. And so uh, German soldiers were sent to Quebec in 1741 to reinforce garrisons there against a a U.S. invasion of of Quebec. And with them, they were like, hey, it's Christmas time. (laughs) We're bringing Christmas trees. And that's how they uh, came over to Canada. In 1837, they were introduced in France again by a German aristocrat brought a Christmas tree to France. Sylvia, it sounds um, like we owe your people a debt of gratitude know, for right? our tree. Um, Oman, Opa are listening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in 1851, there was the first public Christmas tree in New York City that yeah. was that was put up. And then in, in 1856, the first Christmas tree was was put into the White House. And once that started happening, you sure. start it started to get publicity. It started showing up on magazine covers. When that started happening, and it's, I mean, some of the Christmas, the actually earliest Christmas trees were like small ones that you could put on a table and and decorate from there. And then, you know, as it's gone, they've gotten bigger and bigger. But there's, and now nowadays, I mean, obviously it's, you're like weird if you don't have one yeah. in your house. Um, but it was funny that uh, a lot of wealthier families, like we mentioned with Sylvia, who used uh, actual candles on their tree, 
would only light it once during Christmas Eve when the when the tree was revealed. Wow. And then most of the time when they lit the Christmas tree, they would they would have the wealthier families would have servants standing around with buckets of water. Yeah, just in case. <laughs> so they didn't burn their house down. Hey, that's no joke. If you have a real Christmas tree at home, I hope you read all the literature on how you have to keep that sucker watered. Yeah, seriously, no doubt basis. about it. Yeah, it's a massive fire hazard. It's like, hey, let's put a let's put a a dry fur tree in our house yeah, and with set it on, on fire. It. That's what I was yeah. saying. They have more faith in God's sovereignty than I do. I'm oh, worried man. all night. My house is on fire. Yeah, it's crazy. One more, one more note about this that I thought was funny is the standard artificial tree that, that people can buy now that's like less of a fire hazard, you know, was first modeled after uh, a toilet brush. So the toilet brush is like the bristles on it because initially the artificial trees were like feathered trees and the feathers were too flimsy to hold ornaments. And so they were like, we have to have something sturdy enough to hold ornaments and, and lights and to decorate it. So somebody was doing their best thinking. So a toilet brush company was like, we got something for that. And that, that was one of the first artificial trees where the, was modeled after how we went from royalty to toilet brush (laughs) as we commercialized. So in summary, (laughs) if you have a Christmas tree, you're not pagan, you're not, certainly not borrowing from, from pagan tradition. And that's what, I think that's something sweet about this is that these are traditions that, uh, in some fun ways like baptism in a much lesser way as baptism is a, a means of grace, but it does link us to a tradition that, yeah. that is much deeper and much, I mean, although it has been commercialized, uh, we can take that back and go, Hey, I'm doing the same thing that, yep. that people who have loved Christ for centuries have done. And you can still tie meaning to it. Like Boniface did with the Absolutely. Germans. Um, it's like, Hey, we're, we're celebrating the, the, the thriving in the midst of, yeah. in this winter, know, the, the winter there's months. evergreen that, that's in this right, that's dead right. season. There's yep. this life. tree of life. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, well, I, I can't not mention Elf on the Shelf yeah. because, you know, we're sitting here mentioning all these historical traditions and all these fun, whimsical things. And then Elf on the Shelf just bothers me. And so I was yeah, like, I can't yeah. leave here without the negative. And so, <laughs> uh, no, but, I you know, Elf on the Shelf is, you know, sort of this new tradition that's taking off. I don't know how long it'll last. And uh, my hope is it'll go away. But if you do Elf <laughs> on the Shelf, I'm not I'm not hating. But I the reason why I'm mentioning it is because what I think and I mentioned this earlier with Santa Claus why Santa, I think, can be redeemed and what you can do with Elf on the Shelf is we just have to be careful to not turn it into this um, message that we send to our children, which is, hey, if you're good, you get gifts. And if you're bad, you don't. That's right. Because that's the antithesis of what Christmas and Easter are. Yep. Um, that the very, the very hope of the world that said, despite your badness, in the midst of your badness, mm-hmm. I came into this world and, and chose to redeem you. And so I, I think Santa... Um, can be this guy who says, hey, even when you're on the naughty list, which frankly, Everybody you're is. all on the yeah, naughty right. list, right. you get gifts. And yep. so, you know, when my friends started telling me about Elf on the Shelf and they got excited, and I can't, since I don't have kids, I lack a little bit of whimsy. And so I'm always the theologian who's the <laughs> Debbie Downer in every environment. And I relish that role. So I'm hearing about it and they're like, yeah, it's great. You you put it all around your house and then it spies on your kids and then it tells Santa if they've been good or bad. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, and just, uh, my single self-righteousness that doesn't have children who's trying to behave in December because I hear they're about like training blind monkeys. And so, I, hey, I, I think it's whimsical. I think it's yeah, fun. Yeah. But I think as long as the message is, so I think it could be a really fun thing. Up on the shelf could be, hey, he's here. He's excited. He's um. So we, you know, he's yeah. adventing with us. He's excited. He's pointing ahead to something that's great yep. and we're looking forward. Um, but just always want to be careful. I hear, you know, uh, 
whether people mean to or not, they're like, hey, you need to be careful. If you're going to continue to act up in the Starbucks line, Santa's not going to come to you. And I want to lean over and go, hey, listen to me. Christ is going to die for you no matter what. (laughs) You know, there's a gift for you no matter what. Even if you get a lump of coal from your parents, which um, let's not also forget about the fact that what parent has ever actually given their kid a lump of coal? So these empty threats, I don't think are going as far as parents (laughs) think they're going. We, you know, we have, we have an elf on the shelf at our house, but we, we've reversed it. To where there's no like obviously like consequence. It's not like he's spying on. If if anything else, we've told Nate to sp- spy on the elf. So it's become a game for him. So most every night we'll move the elf, and the next morning he wakes up and it's it. a game to go yeah, find the elf. Absolutely. You know, like where'd the elf go? Um, I mean, I'm not the know, grouch. So. I can't have fun at Christmas. Yeah, I certainly yeah, love. Yeah playing with my nieces and nephews and uh, Sylvia and I both have in common that we learn how to make balloon animals and it's put me into the, the Anne Hood <laughs> Hall of Fame in some ways. Uh, so I look, I, I love fun. I love whimsy. I love a good story. I try to relate uh, current political news to my niece and nephew by telling them stories about ogres and, you know, pitchforks yeah. and whatever. Yeah, yeah, and um, But I, there's a theology of Christmas that is irrespective of uh, Elf on the Shelf now, but there is this theology of Christmas that I think as believers, we must protect and I, and not so that we get angry at Starbucks and cups. I and mean, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in the discipleship of your home and in the discipleship of your life, uh, there is a real tendency to over commercialize the season. Mm-hmm. And so Nate, I mean, there, this is when we're talking about the, the incarnation mm-hmm. of our savior, mm-hmm. the incarnation where the God man became flesh. Mm-hmm. And so let's just take some time. Cause we'd be missed. Yeah. We'd be remiss if we didn't just talk about what is Christmas. Yeah. What, yeah. What does it mean? I think, I think probably if you ask 10 people, even to, you know, went to the church, what does Christmas mean? Most, most people would say Christmas means that, that Jesus was born in like church going people. Yeah. You know, you ask the person on the street, they're probably going to tell you oh, it's Santa Claus and get presents or whatever because of the influence of the commercialization of our culture. But, and I think the answer Jesus was born is the right answer, but but I think there's meaning like that statement is pregnant with meaning. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I think we're asking the question, what does Christmas mean? And, and I think to answer that, you have to start with the creation of the world. I mean, you have to start with God, the triune God, the father, the son, the Holy spirit in perfect unity and perfect love and perfect creativity, who is creating the world, the material world, the universe, everything that exists in, in, in reality is sourced from the ultimate reality, um, who is God. And then on that material world, he placed representatives, Mm -hmm. um, people who are made in his image, right? We bear the image of God, which is this epic story of, Hey, I'm going to create, but I'm not, I'm not going to create alone. I'm going to create and I, I want you to partner with me. I want you to work with me in a very real way. I mean, he's, that's the, com- the very first commission we're given by God is fill the earth and rule over it, right? Be my under ruler. And uh, unfortunately, because of the, the awesome power of meaningful choice that God gave to us, we rebelled against him and all sorts of, I mean, the entire creation, everything about it was uh, distorted. Dis- dysfunctional, not the way it was supposed to be, which yeah. is why the early church made such a big deal about death and, and new life that, that death is simply a door. From that, though, you have a long history with the nation of Israel of God interacting with, with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who's later, later renamed Israel. These promises that he's giving to them, how he's bringing them up out of Egypt, out of slavery, right? 
And then um, he's, he's promising to establish them in a land to make them a certain type of people. Uh, Exodus 19, 6 says, a kingdom of priests, people mm-hmm. who bear my name, people who are to represent me to mm-hmm. the world to, to ultimately fulfill my commission. And that is fill the earth with God type people who are going to represent me in an accurate way. Um, but because that's distorted, then we're left at the mercy of our own depravity of, of just like, well, we're just, even though we try to do things, we're, we're left not fulfilling what God intended for us. And so truly, without some sort of intervention into this epic story, we're lost. I think that's, that's a great you know, four-letter word to describe um, our condition apart from God. And yet, probably on January the 6th, 4 BC, just prior to Herod the Great's death in the spring of that same year, under Caesar Augustus, a little cry sounded out mm. in Bethlehem, and uh, and a baby was born. And this baby grew up to be a, a man who had a public ministry, and he claimed things about himself that were so extraordinary that it was just out, it was outstanding. And <clears throat> and one of the things that the primary thing that he claimed about himself. Not only that all of scripture was about him and that he was the hinge on which history turned, right? But that he actually was God and, uh, and that he came, like we see in Matthew chapter 28, that he came to reinstitute the commission. And so and I say, hey, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in, in, into the name, into the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've told you. And I am with you, mm. right? Always. And that's the, the, the theme of the presence of God. In fact, Jesus's name, as, as Isaiah foretold, is Im-Anu-El, which is three little Hebrew words that mean God is with us. Mm-hmm. That's what Christmas means. It means that God has entered into our story. It means that, that the eternal word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It means that we have a visible um, example. It means that through his example, we're now empowered by the Holy Spirit to be the type of people that God created us to be in the beginning. Yeah. We can be his under rulers. We can rule in His in the way that he wants us to. He can redeem the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and that ultimately, that is exactly what will happen. That the, the whole story ends with the book of Revelation, where there's a new heaven and a new earth, and, and we are with him um, forever. So, that's what Christmas means, right? Mm-hmm. It, is it's not just that Jesus is born. There's a there. If you don't understand the meta narrative or the whole broad story out of which the statement Jesus is born fits, then Jesus is born doesn't make any sense. Do you see what I'm saying? And so that's what Christmas means. I love it. Well, friends, thanks for tuning in with us today. Uh, obviously, a little lighter in, in some ways, but. We want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas. Uh, and before we'll come back, we'll be the New Year. So Happy New Year as well. I hope you have all your Until resolutions. Until January the 6th. Yeah. Until keep, Jan- your, keep your Christmas decorations up. That's right. <laughs> or all year <laughs> round with all these yeah, different exactly. dates, I heard. I They're know, gonna right? Just to be safe. November. There's one that shows up in July. Yeah. That's crazy. but yeah. See, now I have the information to keep my tree up year round. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Uh, but we're grateful for you guys tuning in. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. It's awesome. Thank you for listening to the Equipping Podcast. If you haven't already subscribed, we'd invite you to do so. 
If you like what you're hearing, tell your friends about it. Help us get the word out. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. And this Christmas, I pray that regardless of where you are or what's going on in your life, that you would know the love of God and to know the reality that he is with us always. Have a Merry Christmas. Oh,